welcome to Hanging by a Thread Behind the Seams. My name is Jolene Marie Richardson. I'm a costume designer and fashion historian and your host as I unravel the details and sit down with a different person in the horror industry. Today on the podcast, we have filmmaker, writer, director, and actor Josh Rubin. Josh is an acclaimed filmmaker, having written and directed Scare Me, streaming on Shudder, uh, director of Werewolves Within, and then some shorts and sketches for College Humor, and now starring in Travis Stevens' latest film, which is also streaming on Shudder, A Wounded Fawn. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so let's kind of get into it. Like, So what brought you to filmmaking? This is what I love to find out about people, like their journey to, to where they are. Uh, I was a movie lover. I was a horror lover first before comedy um, personalities. I was later known to known to be, I guess you could say. Um, and uh, yeah, we were we were a movie watching family. I mean, I remember like um, watching Jaws and like Alien, which is probably way too uh, way too intense for however old I was way back when it came out five, six years old, uh, Stephen King's cat's eye. I mean, we were constantly watching stuff on top of like Looney Tunes and American tale and Pinocchio and all the other, uh, typical stuff we'd watch when I was a kid. Um, and I wanted to be an actor, but when I realized that, um, you know, around the time I left home, moved to New York city, to go to acting school, that, that no one was going to spoon feed me the opportunity to be a, you know, to either to be an actor and ultimately a filmmaker. So I started making sketches with my friends, parodying in essence, the stuff that I grew up watching in various genres. And that, that turned into my career at college humor. And I left to, college humor to do commercials and commercials turned into, you know, my having kind of a, um, hitting a crossroads and, and, uh, and sort of kicking off at least some of the self-financing for my first film. Um, and that's, that's how I, I, I basically got here. Growing up, did you have a particular genre that stuck out? You mentioned a couple horror films and you primarily do horror, but is, was that like your first genre love or did you kind of have other yeah yeah horror horror was the first love i mean we we watched uh i mean i don't know i guess we kind of saw everything i don't know how how i got away with it or how my folks thought it was all right but i mean i somehow had in my possession you know uh freddy krueger movies and also like the friday the 13th the whole franchise seemed to have like they would always be on like a Sunday matinee movie. They'd always be on at like one o'clock, three o'clock, you know, on television. So I'd watch it in my sister's room often. Maybe that was who it was. It was kind of like sneaking <laughs> me the opportunity to like watch these movies. Um, and, and it was because of that reason, you know, my sister, my older sister, who's nine years, you know, nine years, my senior, she's like, so cool and I wanted to love the things she loved and and uh, I think um I, I'm positive I have her to, to to thank for my love of the genre and now that you're a filmmaker in the genre do you guys kind of swap movies back and forth now that like you can bring her new stuff and she can bring you new stuff does that still happen we do yeah we do on occasion we'll just say you have to check out you know it's often like this new show mm. um uh but yes, it's it's often like the most kind of obscure Todd Salons esque um, type movies. Not even so much horror. Although she and I both are suckers for aquatic horror. I mentioned Jaws, and I wasn't kidding. Like we've each, there was a series of Christmases where I just kept getting her, you know, something shark related kind of every year. And um, 
I think I broke the tradition when I moved to, to California, but um, uh, where we we typically will um, we typically will trade back and forth like mostly like obscure independent films that are just kind of like super intense. Now, do you have any um, uh, uh, like practice in theater? Because one of my first reactions when I was watching Scare Me was. Mm-hmm oh my goodness, this could translate so well to the stage because of how it was written, but your your facial expressions, your physicality, it's very theatrical. I didn't know if you had any experience in the theater. Oh yeah, that's how I started. Thank you okay. so much for, for saying that. Yeah, um, of course. I, I, love, uh, I love theater. Actually, growing up in Woodstock, New York, that was where I first um, kind of got into performing theater. I mean, if you're not counting me and uh, playing Zeus in <laughs> kindergarten, um, but, uh, for a school play, but, um, yeah, my sister was in musicals and I'm sure I, I got hip to that. I don't know that kind of like, um, that fame when she was doing musicals at her, at her public school that had an immense theater, um, with like a beautiful lobby and high budget speakers and all this stuff, at least comparative to, you know, to 1990 or whatever it was. So I think I was like, I was definitely aware of that world. And also, I mean, we were, we were an artsy family. My mom sold tickets for um, the Kennedy center. And so we would see shows like Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis. And I'd listen to the tapes and I'd learn every word and everything. When I moved to Woodstock, I did just about every play, every quarter, the theater in our little town did a play. And I, I mean, you said it like, I mean, I, you know, I wrote Scare Me essentially to be a, you know, a film I could write to my resources. Um, but, uh, but I do want to adapt it very badly to the stage someday. I think it would be perfect, like for yeah. the stage as a, as a theater person. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, yeah that would course. be a dream. My, my, my dream of dreams would be to put it up at like St. Anne's Warehouse in, in Brooklyn. That's like oh. Cherry Lane Theater. Yeah, those are such great venues for that kind of uh, in an yeah. intimate project like that too. So, oh, let me know. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. Yeah, and and it's not such a great place. Too. I mean, I I'm from New York. I've been up and down the Hudson Valley my whole life, and like that Hudson Valley corridor is just so yeah thriving for arts. So just to grow up in that environment, I feel like that corridor and like just outside the city is like. You're, you're so spoiled because you're so yeah. close to the city and you're so close to this art. So that definitely, it definitely yeah, reads really in your work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. There's a theatricality to it. I want to continue on the kind of horror, at least horror comedy route, maybe to, you know, quote unquote, finish with one or two more. Um, and then, and then eventually certainly try my hand at a musical because mm. I, I, I loved I, I just loved musicals as a kid, especially the classics. So let's talk about a little bit um, Werewolves Within, where you're kind of following this this route of like theatricality, like we were talking about, and some camp. Um, how did you get involved in that project? That came to me actually from the producers of another werewolf movie called The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um, they worked with uh, Jim Cummings on that film uh, for, I think it was MGM, um, and uh they had this what's called an open directing assignment, which is essentially, you know, a, um, a work for hire gig. And they said, do, you know, do you want to pitch on this werewolf movie? And I kind of, you know, my shoulders went up at the prospect of doing a video game movie. And I, but I like these producers and I read the script and I was like, shit, this is actually really good. It reminds me of the thing. It reminds me of clue. And it could, could be like, you know, Amblin by way of Fargo 
or Fargo by way of Amblin that kind of way. And so I just kind of, I, I, I took a swing and I pitched the movie that I wanted to make and Ubisoft went for it, which was kind of crazy that, you know, they, they, they loved my vision, my kind of take for it. Um, and I, I, I took, I worked night and day for two weeks on a pitch document. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with like, you know, putting all kinds of decks together, pitching yourself, you know, yeah. in wardrobe. It's like you kick your own ass doing it. Um, and this one was like, wasn't just thoughts on tone and theme. It was also, I would copy and paste swaths of dialogue and show them examples of how I would tighten the dialogue and make it make the jokes even hit more. I added certain, you know, bits of description to make the visuals kind of sing. And if there was, you know, comedic opportunity to exhibit that, I talked about cinematographer, I talked about how the color palette would change. I talked about wardrobe. I talked about casting ideas. I mean, just went crazy and compiled that into a keynote presentation, went to the Ubisoft office, offices and, and presented my whole vision for the, for the film. And, um, and they, they went for it. You know, that's the best thing you can do is just, especially because you're going to dedicate a year of your life on a project. You better pitch the thing you want to, you want to dedicate your life doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I'm not familiar with the game itself. Now, did you, was the winterized theme something that came with the script or was that your added element? Cause, cause the, the, the winter isolation, like it kind of, kind of feels like scare me a little bit too in that, like, you know, you have this yeah. vast winter wonderland, but you're you're sequestered <clears throat> and you're cozied in this house. Yeah, the winter, the winter element. I mean, with scare me, it was just total happenstance. We just happened to shoot in January, and there was crazy blizzards. Um, right. And we actually expected the same the following year uh, to do werewolves, except that um, <clears throat> you know the weather is so volatile. The further you go out towards the Delaware Gap, it's like. Mm. It's can, it can melt one day, as you know, and then right. just, you know, come in, in, a, in a fury the next. Um, Mishna, uh, our writer on Werewolves, whose last name is Wolf, which everybody finds amusing, which <laughs> it is, um, she added the winter element. She thought, you know, what would be cooler than have these these folks sort of bound together by a storm? It's, it's not inherent in the original game at all. The original game is just a bunch of, you know, kind of eccentric characters sitting around a, a gnarled tree stump in a medieval town playing the game mm. um yeah so she added that that layer and it was just it was really killer where it kind of bit us in the ass was just that we had to create some snow um with cgi and okay uh, and do some practically yeah. yeah i haven't done a shoot in that kind of weather yet so when i watch movies like that i'm always like oh, I feel for this crew that, that it's, I don't know what the temperature is, but it just looks so, so, so cold. It was pretty cold. I mean, the overnights we had, we did, I think, I want to say three or four overnights uh, in the the middle of the town of Phoenicia, which is hmm. also the town I grew up in, you know, near the town I, I grew up in. Um, so it was kind of surreal, despite the grueling nature of it all, with fire effects and everything else, to be shooting in the center of town on Main Street. Um, and for it to also be just where I spent my formative years, it was sort of a crazy self-actualizing <laughs> kind of kind of endeavor. Yeah. No, I, I love when film can bring those full circle moments for filmmakers. And I love hearing about those from different filmmakers because it's true. Like you, you spend so much time in a place and you grow up and you have these dreams. And then all of a sudden, sometimes your dreams bring you back to where you started. And that's kind of a, yeah. that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that, that definitely was the case. I mean, really for both movies, but definitely a case for werewolves. I mean, I, I got to 
drive home on the weekends. It was only a 40 minute drive, you know, so I got to see my folks. I got to see my, you know, the, my old cats and I got to see old friends and see musicians in town that, you know, um, that worked on other stuff I've done and my sister and it, like that, that really kind of made it extra special, especially after it was like the holidays and I don't know. It was, it was a beautiful time and little, little did we know the pandemic was right around the corner. I mean, we wrapped just a few days before. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you guys were shooting in, tw- in like 1920, 19. Yeah. We shot in, uh, we, yeah, we wrapped March 9th, 2020. Wow. Yeah. March 9th, 2020. That's exactly right. And then the movie came out June, 2021. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy. So how has, for, I mean, everybody's life's kind of obviously changed filming wise because of this, but, uh, did you find that the pandemic impacted your work in any way? Did things slow down more? Did you find more opportunities? Like how did it kind of shape your career? It did, it did sort of, it did sort of shift things. I mean, what was, I think what was great about the pandemic or at least the timing of it was that, you know, once I had wrapped werewolves, which was my routine, I mean, day and night, you know, 9 to 9 p.m., 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., I had the routine, which is like the thing that they say in the the military, you know, as, as a means of not going crazy living in a bunker, you have to have that routine. And, you know, through, through the early pandemic days, I was so fortunate to have just wrapped, to have made it home, to have some money in my pocket, and then to you know, basically create a, you know, an office out of my bedroom and work with Brett Bachman, my brilliant editor Mm. all day. And as soon as we wrapped werewolves, then we went right into press for scare me, um, which had already debuted at Sundance and was, and was um, premiering in October on shutter um, that later in 2020. So, you know, I essentially wrapped werewolves. We took a little vacation with my wife and then came back and just started doing like press videos and like all the zoom PR and talking a lot about COVID life. And so I think how it impacted my career was somewhat minimal, but I also, I'm sure that it, it put a, it put a wrench in all our plans, but I think certainly a wrench in, in some of the momentum of just kind of probably the heat behind the career. It's like, wow, you went from one movie right into your second movie and your second movie was several million more dollars and how cool you'd think number three would be right there. But it was, uh, it, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough reality call, wake up call for all of us. Yeah. So when you were going into a wounded fawn, um, mm-hmm. you were just acting in that. Do you find that going in as just an actor is a little bit easier or do you like having the multiple layers to to the job i like them both i mean i um uh, having a, having the script to be great having it be a great role it obviously makes it uh makes it a lot more appealing um because i tend to say no to a lot of stuff uh or i'm learning to say no later in my life um <laughs> uh it's sort of zen like in a way where you know the task with acting is just to focus on the one very hefty task of leading a film or just right. playing one part really well, where it's like commandeering a ship comes with its own set of pros and cons. Um, and, 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 uh, I, I love both. I love both dearly. Um, mm. and it's kind of, I want to say it's hard to choose. I just think now that I've sort of entered into the filmmaking life and career, you're certainly, 
you know, you're treated differently, frankly. Um, mm. You have a bit more sway and power. People kind of go, oh, you did that. Oh, wow. Um, right. As opposed to, oh, fun. You were part of that troop where I really loved your role. There's something about um, the control and the small business owner element of being a, a director that I think people go like, oh, shit, you commandeered that ship to be critically successful. That's really hard to do. And it is hard to do. It's Herculean. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I, I love it. I love them both. And I, I just love not being able to be quite pinned down um, yeah. that, you know, people who know me for comedy might be like, oh shit, he did a serial killer movie. And then it's like, what the hell? He, and he directed this. I, I had no idea he was, he was also a filmmaker. I thought he was just a comedy person. Like, oh, yeah. Dude. That's awesome. Now, what kind of, what, what brought you into Wounded Vaughn? Like, um, yeah, how did, how did that project kind of come about? Uh, writer, uh, co-writer, director Travis Stevens. He he DM'd me on Twitter and asked me if I was still performing, and I said yes, I absolutely am. I'm interested. Let me take a look. Um, and I opened up his pitch deck, which was gorgeous. I opened up his script, which was genius, and I wrote mm. it back. And I said, I wrote him within the hour, and I said, this is genius. I have to do this. Um, and they were already in pre-production and in New Jersey. And, um, you know, so I knew it was kind of a matter of time before I had to be on a plane. Um, but I, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't turn down the opportunity. I'm sort of realizing in retrospect, it, it's, uh, it was a dream role. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It was very, um, Grecian in, in nature. Uh -huh. I was just blown away by just the scale of everything and yet how it felt so intimate on this like large folkloric scale and mm -hmm. it, it was so it was very beautiful and like and then the way that you approached that man it was oh it, it did it honestly left me on the edge of my seat <laughs> oh thank you I mean it was it's, it's so fun to be able to exercise that spectrum I just I didn't think I'd get the opportunity to do it without having to write a part like that it, it, it just speaks to Travis as a filmmaker he he saw something in me that um uh that could get weird and could take, take swings and could, could go dark. Most comedians have a kind of a dark sensibility about them. Um, and I'm just, I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked out and that people seem to be responding well to it. Did you um, have to do any like physical training for that? Cause it was a very physical role. There isn't a lot of uh, dialogue, a lot of the emotion and a lot of it comes from a lot of the physicality and the feeling in the script or, or between mm -hmm. the lines for that matter. Did you do any physical training for the movie? I was running pretty much every day, um, if not in the morning, and my uh, longer runs on the weekend in New Jersey, and the weather was beautiful. We were heading into the, um, you know, the October month, and it was turning, the leaves were turning, and it was just like gorgeous and crisp, and um, that that whole part of it was wonderful, and I was on a bit of a diet, which I didn't love. I wasn't eating anything I wanted to eat, <laughs> I remember <laughs> Sarah and I would tease each other about like how I, or she would tease me about how I just was, was like not having pasta. Cause also I was working towards this, like, you know, this end sequence where I didn't know what the toga was going to look like. If you have to be right. naked, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it was just like cardio and just making sure because this guy is a predator who relies on his looks and his stuff that I just, you know, I looked apart. It was, wasn't anything too extensive. And when you dive into the mind of somebody like that, are you reading literature uh, based on serial killers like are you reading greek tales like are you how were you pulling that from because that's a really heavy place to go 
And it to stay is. In. I mean, <laughs> sociopathically, I wish <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, well, not sociopathically. I wish I, I wish I did and wasn't such a sociopath um, in the, in the sense that it was sort of just, no, I just played this character. I think that the acting challenge for me, the research is really trying to find the voice of this narcissist. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to take this as an opportunity to, to yes, kind of get in there with this kind of Patrick Bateman angle um, and understand what the spectrum of what that person would be like as a predator and fully in control versus like, you know, being essentially flayed in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, I, all of it for me was how grounded can I play him? How can I be in my voice and in my body and be as present and kind of natural and um, graceful in a weird way as I could? Uh, because despite this guy's monstrosities um, and monstrous tendencies, he is acting in a reality all of his own, despite the operatic nature of it. So for me, it was like, how can I play seductive? How can I play, um, you know, this version of a narcissist? And it was, it was fun in essence, especially as a comedian who's, you know, most comedian types will push boundaries and love to hold the mirror up to society and skewer certain, certain personalities. Mm -hmm. This was my opportunity to skewer, like the toxic peacocking narcissistic dude. Um, it's just that, you know, at the heart of his vulnerability was this kind of awful um, expression. Uh, so that was really the research. Mm. And for you playing this man was now I, 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 I want to do a couple more rewatches on this because it, it is definitely a movie that you have to keep digging into, but yeah. what, every time he sees the owl it was that something for you as the character that felt that that was completely real in that moment or is that like a small voice in his head that's kind of going off uh i think that's his own narrative i um i i felt quite differently about it like perhaps he wasn't in control the way Dahmer at least vulnerably uh uh says he wasn't in control and essentially drank himself like drank his his voices into nullness. Um, I think Bruce is just a thoroughly bad man. And I think for the sake of this mm. story has to be um, and is a total fake and a total liar and is kind of through and through evil. But the owl, interestingly, is just uh, is another player in his own narrative, in the operatic narrative, you know, just as operatic as the weapon he uses and the car that he has and the house that he has. It's just another thing that is just kind of part of his own, um, yeah, part of part of his own self-aggrandizing um, pedestaling of himself, of this narcissistic self. Yeah. So, um, the, I mean, the costume design in it wasn't I mean, it was very naturalistic. It was very, you know, everyday where when you put on pieces like that, um, Mm -hmm. do you find, you know, a different walk, a different, you know, swagger to yourself? Because I love seeing that transformation for actors in the fitting room. And I'm I'm wondering what that (laughs) that transformation was for you, because it's, you know, it's it's flannels, it's suits, but they all have that to them. I mean, um, you know, the wardrobe 
didn't change a whole lot for me. The boots didn't change a whole lot, though they're helpful. It was the prosthetic eye that mm. really got me there. The to play woozy or to play head woundy, it's definitely helpful to have your vision partially obscured by you know Dan Martin's brilliant prosthetic. Um, and also to see yourself in the mirror, the, your brain kind of tells yourself you're injured, but you can't feel anything. It's, it's, right. It, it kind of it gets you there most of the way. So that was that was super helpful. But yeah, mostly I do feel like you know costume, wardrobe, makeup, uh, any slight treat, tweak to your your everyday, anything to get you there is 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 so helpful. I I, I always find it, I'm you know I, I I'm aided with that um, with that uh, that device. Yeah. And I want to talk about the last like few moments of the film because mm-hmm. it, that the brilliance of what, um, what Travis Stevens did with that long shot of you just kind of writhing on the floor mm-hmm. as the credits are rolling to film. What was that filming process like? Because that was so well placed and it just brings yeah. out this like really strong feeling of uncomfortability when you're watching it. Cause you're like, is this going to end? Like what, what is happening? Yeah. It was uh, electric because it's on film and you, you know, to speak to the theater of it all, you only have so many takes and you only can hit your mark so many times they're budgeting a certain amount of film canisters, film reels every day. Right. So it, it harkened back to the theater loving person in me. So many people were asking me like, you know, were you uncomfortable? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Um, there was no discomfort whatsoever. I was so in it and then so just concerned with not breathing. So obviously after, you know, his demise, mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought it was, it was killer. And it was in the last two days of shooting and Travis knew that we could take it. He knew that we had it in us to, to be able to, to take on the challenge. And I'm so glad he did. Cause I did it also these days, as you know, I mean, movies have to have a water cooler splashiness in order to kind of break through. And this is a small movie, but you know, people at the very least, despite what they say about whatever their grievances is about the film, this film or any film, it's like, Oh, you got to see it because blank, you know, um, whether it's this or terrifier Two or barbarian, it's it's something for, you know, you want to be in on the conversation and to have that moment is, uh, is, is extra. It's, it's extra helpful for these, these indies. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, did you guys um, film mostly in order to kind of help the flow of it? Or was it just staggered like a normal film schedule where you're you're filming things in sequentially? I want to say we mostly did do it in order. Our first day of shooting wasn't entirely, but, but uh, I'd say for the most part, like our first day of shooting was uh was meredith and bruce in the car driving to the cabin so it was a great way for sarah and i to get to know one another whereas i think my last day of shooting was uh, bruce getting out of the car and picking her up um funny enough just because there was so much to take take on in that location and dog and this and the other thing um but uh yeah i want to say mostly mostly in order i mean certainly the, the the death was towards the end right now as an actor i know like sometimes as a director or I mean, I guess the, the question could apply for yourself as a director or as an actor. If you could shoot things in order, is that more helpful to you as the performer, as the director? I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think so. I mean, 
it was a real rude awakening for me to do my first film and realize how quickly we had to Tetris around mm. a very troublesome, you know, we had weather issues. You know, my, my lead actress had some last minute commitments to a show that she was doing and was only available for a certain number of the days. And we planned to have her there the whole time. And, um, but, you know, I have to say, like, with coming up in internet comedy videos and commercials, I'm sure you know this, too. It's like you're kind of ready for anything by the, by the point you, you're in that kind of industry and in that right. world. You're so used to last-minute ass changes, fuck-ups. And the more, um, the more times you're on set, the more kind of accustomed you are to it and more sort of ready to dance and pivot and problem-solve. That's what the whole thing is. It kind of gets me a little freaked out thinking about, you know, the bigger movies I do the you know how to handle problems at that kind of level which i guess you know hey money money solves uh, many a thing but not everything um, right <laughs> but uh but it is inevitable it's inevitable it makes you makes your your um your product i think more interesting uh, and um yeah makes me kind of eager to see what what the next karma has for me in, in store i am too yeah because everything that you've done so much for, for me has definitely hit so I'm, I'm very much enjoying witnessing your your ride and your journey uh me too and boy, <laughs> boy does it remain to be seen I mean it's uh I just have no uh, yeah it's none of us can none of us can tell the future but I, I will say I hope that whatever the next thing is I get to lean into the horror a bit more I want yeah. to show folks that yeah, I've got it in me, but maintain the humor and see if I can do that legitimately funny, genuinely scary kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I do feel like you you did that a little bit with Scare Me. What was your inspiration for writing that one? Oh, it was so much. I mean, I was like really sort of fraught in the commercial world at a crossroads. I just, you know, not just parted ways, but more or less parted ways with um, a... Uh, a business partner of mine who was a directing partner for many years um, and just didn't want to be doing commercials and was just kind of it was the combo of reading like the Duplass brothers book like brothers which kicked my ass in gear to make my own thing um, and uh, and also it was the height of me too and I was one of the only men in my circle sort of signal mm -hmm. boosting women's stories on my Instagram and on Twitter um, so many women coming forward, so many buddies talking about how they were taken advantage of. And that got me thinking about gender dynamics. And, mm. and I thought, man, it might be really exciting to take this interesting style gimmick of sound design and, and, uh, composition being the, 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 the device for this anthology film that never leaves the campfire and tell a story about an emasculated man in the mm. company of a woman's genius. It was like, oh, there's so much that's kind of relevant there. And that's I think I think it was the it was the price point and the um the social element of it, especially right after Get Out, because which it more or less was. We were still all kind of reeling in the in the uh, in the wake of Get Out, I think as we probably will always be. Um I think that's how it got made so quickly. Yeah, that one is such a fun one too. Cause it yeah. just kind of plays into what everybody grew up doing, which was telling stories either around the campfire or playing pretend and, and the way that the used the sound effects and the, the shadows, I thought that was so invented and just, I just haven't seen anything like that before, which is really refreshing. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'd actually, if, if people really did a deep dive into my college humor work, they'd probably find some sketches where I, mm. I would experiment with this kind of device. And there were other people who sort of had played with space work and stuff too, but mm. that's just the world of theater I came from, um, Viola Spolin theater games and such. And so to be able to implement or imbue a film with that was was exciting it's, it was it's because it is as we were saying earlier it's like such a play to get back yeah. to that like black box thing was really exciting did you study any puppetry with your theater or just just kind of have fun uh i don't think i did officially i'd worked with puppeteers and okay. stuff i was really lucky to have a um our key grip Tallinn, uh who was on set with us for scare me he was the one to help operate the the werewolf head um, to get that shadow right and mm. he knocked it out of the park so I was trying to do it myself because we we're really struggling with it and the light and it's just kind of slow appearance from the shadows and, and he uh yeah he saved the day that's awesome so what is do you know can you talk about what's coming next or or hopes yeah for what's coming next yeah. or I've got a lot of hopes. I can tell you definitively, <laughs> I, I, I'm releasing a graphic novel next year from Invader Comics. And oh, an incredible. illustrator named, um, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, an illustrator named Brianna Tippett, who I love. I've shattered her out on Fangoria. Um, she's just got such a s amazing style. Um, and the graphic novel is called Darla, and it's about this kind of irritable small town woman who starts fantasizing this entity in her house that tells her to do wicked things. And it's a twisted story, and it's kind of an homage to Tales from the Crypt in that regard. And um, we'll see how people respond to it. I, I, I'm, I have no sort of concept um, what people will make of it, but I'm excited. Do you draw yourself, or, or were you just providing the story for this? Oh, no, just the story. Yeah, Brianna just took it and took it and totally ran with it which was rad so when you do a graphic novel what is that process like is it you get is it art first then words or is it words first then art or um i think oh hi pup uh i think it can vary and this process was i i wrote um I wrote a great majority of this story, not quite knowing what to do with it and gave it to Brianna and said, what if you were to kind of transcribe this just candidly? Um, and just because I didn't, I didn't know if it could quite be a movie. I didn't know if anybody would want to see this story as a film. And I just kind of like had this story. And so typically what, what, at least in the comic book world, which I'm also trying to dabble in, you'll write just your essentially your dialogue and then pitch to the artist who's sort of an equal collaborator a description of the panels and how the panels are laid out um and uh you'll go page by page so you say page one this page is about uh darla meeting the creature and then panel one which is going to be a small uh, box in the upper left hand corner i picture just a picture of her eye and here's the dialogue I woke up at 3 a.m. today or whatever. And so you'll kind of go through in that. You can get as detailed or as kind of broad strokes as you want, but the main thing is you just you just want it to be as all action-oriented. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just love the medium because there's so much you can do. It's just all kind of about who your, who your collaborator is. Were you a big comic book reader growing up as well? I really was, yeah. And I just rediscovered comics or been starting to purchase them again. So um, it's, it's just been fun to, I don't know, enjoy that thing. And I also think just too, with all this digital 
the shit, doom scrolling, TikTok, Instagram, whatever. It's just so nice to have the tactile thing in your hand to be able to, you know, have this transportive experience with nice images and people's art, like holding an art piece, you know, an art piece every issue. Oh, that's awesome. And anything else you've got on the docket or? Uh, I guess I, I can tell you I, I'm working with um, uh, Michael Kennedy, who is the writer of uh, uh, Blumhouse's Freaky. He and I okay. are working on a horror comedy together that we're super excited about. Um, and uh, otherwise, there's just a lot of there's so many various sort of projects that you you attach to as a director after you release a couple of movies that people respond to. Um but nothing is quote unquote real until the financing is. And it's such a Herculean effort. So that's why I'm sort of, that's why I, you know, I booked myself in this kind of like press tour doing all these podcasts, talking mm. to just push out as much I, as I could about these tiny movies, you know, that are both on shutter. And then also um, to just, you know, get people hip to the stuff that I've done before in case they hadn't seen it because, you know, we released two movies during the, during the pandemic, you know, we didn't have our kind of barbarian moment. Um, so, uh, as I'm waiting, um, I will just keep promoting that, you know, the, the, the small movies I produce, the small movies I help make the small movies I star in, you know, just kind of any way I can, cause I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were, um, you made a, it was a little more than a cameo. You have a whole scene in, in Blood Relatives <laughs> with Noah Segan, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. How was that? Was that, you know, because was that a day or a couple days? But how was that? I was there. That 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 one scene was just a day, but I was there for, I'd say, 75% of the film. I was a producer okay. uh, on that, just helping Noah out. Um, it was great. We shot in Taylor, Texas. We had an amazing crew. It was, it was a real low budget run and gun effort, but it was Noah's directorial debut and we all just love the script. It's got such heart and so yeah. fun. And, um, yeah, the composers of buddy Robert Allaire, who just knocked it out of the park. There's just so many, it's such a gem in so many different ways. And it was such a scrappy effort. Um, we're all so proud of it. And, yeah. It is, it is such a fun film because you don't get a lot of father-daughter vampire yeah. films which is so nice to see yeah. like a nice father-daughter killing road trip <laughs> yeah truly truly i'd never seen anything like it i'm glad we kind of hit at the right moment you know day shift to just come out with jamie fox and then mm. we got bones and all after the fact and it's just feels like we're in a nice kind of meet you know middle middle area with not too much vampire saturation absolutely now um remind me was that a paper street one did i see that you were doing something with the paper street guys or was that was Blood yeah, that's Paper right. Street. They were they were our production partner. That's okay. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. I love those guys. I worked with them on Scare Package too. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're good people. Any closing thoughts? Where can my listeners find you? Um, sure. See all your stuff. We kind of kind of covered where a lot of the films were, but yeah, we did. I mean, I, I put um, most of my stuff up on my website. So if uh, you want to see news and merch and uh pictures and just kind of updates in general rather than going to the usual socials where i am too just a josh rubin pretty much across the board um the website is joshesmindhouse.com yeah so you can find me there perfect well thank you so much josh i really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and my and pleasure chatting with me i definitely want to like but i feel like that's a whole huge conversation but I want to really just like dive into wounded fawn and all the symbolism <laughs> with you. Yeah. Cause there's yeah. just so much to it. 
there's so much to it. Yeah, you should you should try and you should reach out to Travis. I mean, I'm sure he'd he'd love to talk about it if he's if he's not kind of uh over his his press tour as well. I mean, I, there's there's so much to unpack. It really is a special one, but I'm sure there'll be there'll be some time. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to describe, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to review as it helps other listeners to find the podcast. You can follow as well on Instagram at hanging by a thread BTS and on Twitter at hanging underscore BTS. I will keep asking the questions and untangling the details to keep you all hanging by a thread. Mm-hmm.